In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Reel. It's about the people. This week, Silicon Reel is brought to you by Sage and the Bag Yourself a Billboard competition. What is that? That's a very good question. How would you like to own your own billboard, much like the one behind me, but located right here on Old Street for two entire weeks in June in order to promote your startup or small business? Sounds like a fantastic opportunity, right? It's easy. All you have to do is submit a 60-second video describing why your business is the best in the UK. Make it fun, uh, make it interesting, make sure you don't use any copyrighted music. Submit that video at bagyourselfabillboard.com and the winner will be chosen on May 1st. If you win, you own this space behind me for two weeks in June. Plus on top of that, they're gonna give you one million unique ad impressions to promote your business. In fact, I just decided that I'm gonna enter the competition as well for London Reel and Silicon Reel. I'm gonna make my own 60 second video and you might see my mug smiling up there in June with my logos next to me, branding the heck out of my message. So get involved, go to bagyourselfabillboard.com, submit your video. Hell, you can even make it from your iPhone if you want. Just make it fresh, make it creative, and you might be selected, and you'll own this branding space, and uh, get your message out there to everyone. This is Silicon Reel, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Uh, I'm Brian Rose. I also host London Reel. It's the uh, same studio. We get a couple cool guys in the room, try to figure some things out. Uh, we just had uh, astrophysicist uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson from the show Cosmos. He was cool. He put me in a headlock. Um, I think he would have beat me in a fight. Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty uh, tough guy. Um, we also have uh, Edward Snowden's attorney on this week, uh, Jessalyn Raddick. She's talking about uh, the NSA. And then we've also got Nelson Mandela's prison guard coming up on Sunday. Um, yeah, he was actually his prison warden in Robben Island. And then, of course, in Nelson Mandela form, he hired him later as part of his presidential administration. So I know. Crazy intense stuff. So check that out at LondonReal.tv. But we're here today to talk about tech. My co-host is none other than Mr. Bryce Keene. Hello. Co-founder or founder of Albion. And drive a uh, former beard or current beard um, co-founder of the beards advisor now I guess Bryce where you been I-, I have missed you I must say I have been I've been uh, where have I been I've been in Australia uh, I went home for three and a half weeks I think I've been I've been back since then uh, I went checked out the tech scene I think I came in once after that yeah and then I have been working on uh, well uh, working on a lot of stuff with the beards so we're doing the uh, Big, big international expansion. Okay, uh, so you're still involved with the beards? Yeah, I'm now a, a board advisor, and okay. um, I still do a lot of stuff behind the scenes. But um, Albion Drive is growing. We're hiring. We're at sort of eight people, soon to be sort of 11. So um, I've sort of taken a step back from the day-to-day, but I do a lot of the strategy. And we're now putting some of my very talented PR team to help the beards this year. Um, and it's about kind of helping accelerate them, but not being a bottleneck either, because I was juggling the two, and it was, it was all getting a bit sort of difficult for everyone. So... Uh, Sort of came back from Oz, uh, and then it was like, okay, we need to kind of figure out what's the most efficient way to help these guys grow and scale this year. And uh, I think the answer to that was to kind of step back, focus on the day job, but 
core resource from Albion and actually not just Drive but actually the mothership Albion the whole thing they are keen to kind of help them this year which is pretty exciting because they're the guys behind like you know Skype and Betfair and Wonga yeah and really like okay. Albion we had you know we had uh, Jason in here and then uh, I went over and did a talk at Albion really good energy in that company yeah Seems really like good it's one a lot of, of fun over there and one of the last independent creative shops now you know they're all, all the acquisitions they're buying them up their front and center you see and uh, Albion's one of the few that's why I joined actually because A because I'd done 12 years of startup work before I got there and B because they're one of the last independent ones where you can actually go and make stuff, you know, and be what you want to be. And they, and, they you know. support startups as well themselves. I think Jason yeah. does that, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. A big, like, startup a, mentality. Yeah, he's investor owned a couple of companies. He's on the board of a few companies. He's got a co-working space in the office. Like got, He hired a whole floor in the T building, which can't be cheap, just to put a co-working space in for startups, right. friends and family. So Good, well, exciting stuff, man. Well, thanks for coming back. Please come back more often. Yes. You know, I get a little sick, sick and tired of Colin Powell. You know, too much Canadian in the house. So, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, you know, before we get to our guest, I just wanted to say thanks to the uh, FinTech Innovation Lab, one of our sponsors. Uh, there are seven companies just gave a pitch, or they're giving it at the end of this week, or if you're listening to us after the delay, um, they've given a pitch at seven different companies. One of them was PixelPin that we had on. Oh, amazing. Yeah, a really exciting company that uh, turns your uh, basically your uh, passwords into actually like graphic remembrances of what you have, and I think yeah. it's the future of passwords. I don't know how many of us have passwords copied down in text files somewhere. So uh, um, it's exciting stuff. If you want to check them out, go to fintechinnovationlab.com co.uk and uh and uh, thanks to them we also want to thank TaskRabbit. i think you're using those guys for your three beards we are indeed yeah yeah they are um, uh, yeah they're fantastic they're uh, an online marketplace marketplace allows you to outsource small jobs to people in your community they do a lot of the silicone real work behind the scenes so it's not just cleaners and plumbers they can also do really highly skilled tasks yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, they do check them out uh, we had lauren on their head of community she was awesome on here about six weeks ago definitely check that show out and you can use code real 25 get 25 pounds and Try them out yourself. So, so Task Rabbit have a London office now as well. They right? do. Yeah, yeah. 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 They, they set up shop here. Lauren actually came out to do it by yeah, herself before Christmas, I think. So yeah, yeah they're everywhere. So uh, yeah, definitely check them out. They're a, a good resource uh, for for short term help. Anyways, on with the show. To Our the guest today is a man I've heard about for many, many months from you, Bryce, uh, who's uh, introduced us to a few of our guests over the years, over the six months or so on Silicon Reel. It's Mr. Monty Munford, Hello. who is the founder of, is it Mob76? Mob76, yeah. Uh, which is a content strategy and exit consultant for tech companies. Yep, you also write quite a lot for uh, places like The Economist, Mashable, The Telegraph, Wired UK, BBC Future. Yeah, he's course, the Michael Caine so. of tech journalism. The there UK. you go. That's how I now describe I know him. what you mean. He's dressed in he, black he like is Johnny Cash. Smooth. Um, you've also acted as a Bollywood villain in two major motion pictures. That's true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was expecting a denial somewhere. Uh, Monty, uh, welcome to Silicon Real. Hey man, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for being here. You know, I, we kind of have a format that we've gotten into on Silicon Real, and it's kind of every week. We invite someone in, and they tell us about their business, the business model. They give us their thoughts on, on the city of London as a, as a tech competitor, and then we find out about them as the person. But it's nice to shake it up a bit and not be here just to talk about one business model. Yeah. And, and so that's why I'm glad you're here today, because you can maybe give us kind of your thoughts and an overview. You've been in this business for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had other people on, like Benjamin Southworth in the beginning, or I guess maybe Simon Devonshire away, rather we're a bit more big picture guys. Yeah. But it's nice to have uh, someone who's not in the thick of the startup. Yeah, and I think with Monty, the reason I want to get Monty on is because he's also uh, one of the best traveled tech journalists that ever was. And that's saying <laughs> right. something. They do travel a bit, but Monty goes to places most people 
don't actually even consider as could be some emerging tech, and he goes and writes about those companies, and I think that's the most interesting, really interesting part as well, mm -hmm. which is... Yeah, well, let's get started. You, you just said you came back from Nairobi Yeah, I was in Nairobi for four or five days. This Jeez, week, and yeah. you lived in Goa for a while. Um, tell us a bit more about you. Uh, how long have you been involved in this, in this industry? And then if you could talk a bit about your emerging markets experience, because okay. that's a bit rare. So I, I didn't go to university, and I was uh, actually weirdly coming up to this office today. I used to deliver parcels to this office. Or this this space when I was I was a dispatch rider in London for twelve years. So and how long ago was that that you were delivering? So I gave it up probably twenty years ago, I suppose. And you came to this building. I came years to this. So I remember there was a geezer called Nick. He was a bit of a dude, <laughs> uh, and he had a good-looking girl on the back of his bike, and then he ended up being a chauffeur for Lincoln Continentals. I remember exactly coming to this building, and we had a race from Soho, and then coming down City Road. Or, no, sorry. Clerkenwell Road, I realised there was a shortcut and I arrived here earlier than he arrived on the, with a girl on the back of the bike and he was extraordinarily pissed off about that. From, from Soho? That's yeah, just, we had a race actually. That's, yeah. uh, that's quite a feat. Yeah, well, you know, it's a difficult job, you know, a few broken bones, broken knee, nearly lost my left foot in an accident, hit a car, my foot got stuck in a wheel arch, you know, 10 days in hospital, broke all my metatarsals, broken arm, broken nose and some broken ribs. That's yeah. a tough job. Did you used to hang out at the foundry afterwards, or was that big back then? No, I didn't. This part of the, the, the world didn't exist as it does now. Yeah, you know, yeah. Who were you delivering packages to? Pretty much people that lived west, I suppose. Okay. You know what I mean? So it would be work, work from St. Martin's Lane and so, well, film, basically. Okay. And most of the jobs would be going west, and you'd try and get as many jobs as you could going west. So you got paid fivefold. You know, I did it for a load of companies. It was, it was a very good scene. It was almost like being a waiter. In Hollywood, everyone was going to be a writer or a musician, or were, uh, and it's not like that anymore. Okay, no, and then I mean, how did you get involved with, with tech in this whole scene? I decided to retrain as a journalist when I stopped the bikes, moved down to Brighton, went to the London College of Printing just down the road, uh, didn't go to uni, did a 13-week course in editorial journalism, and it was an extraordinary three months, you know what I mean? So I went to The Independent, I wanted to write for The Face, there was a great journalist called Gavin Hills that came out of the rave scene um, and he wrote the type of stuff that I kind of almost write about now. And he'd do stuff for the face like in uh, Bosnia, going clubbing with pit, you know, soldiers with pit bulls. And he wrote a brilliant piece about Namibia. And I remember the, the, the opening paragraph was, um, his, my cameraman's in the toilet, he's just banged his head against the sink, he's bleeding, I've got malaria, welcome to Namibia. Uh, and then, I don't know, I was on a train back from London to Brighton about six months later, bored, going through the, through the paper, and then there was an obituary for Gavin Hills, and he died in, a, in an accident, and, you know, drowned, uh, I can't remember where it was. Um, so, I, I don't know, it, it kind of gave me the inspiration to not be like him, but I mean, he came out of the rave scene as well. He wrote some great pieces in the book called Disco Biscuits, where an ecstasy had changed football hooligans into being lovers and lovey type of people, and I suppose that was it. Uh, so I wanted to write for The Face, and part of the deal with um, the three-week course, you had to get two weeks secondment somewhere. So I went to the independent sports desk because oh, I like football. Um, and then I wanted to try and get working at The Face, and then someone came down, we had to do a piece on um, a guy called Tony Loins, who was a publisher of um, a weekly IT magazine called Computing, and said, you know, this is where it's all happening, this is the new rock and roll. And I figured that I'd been travelling for 20 years, either on the bike or abroad. And this was my chance to catch up. So I did a, I did a year at computing as a sub-editor, you know, subbing the most 
unreadable copy from people that knew a lot about computers but nothing about writing. So I figured if I did that for a year, then uh, I'd be able to you know, move on. And then after that, it all went very quickly and I caught up quite quickly, I think. You know, so communications director on the first series of Big Brother and the company that I worked for, Victoria Real, that was, I think, subsumed by Endemol. I think the people that they own the format for Big Brother. Uh, and that was an amazing, amazing time. It's almost when the internet had taken over from TV. You know, there was a big scene, Nasty Nick, I don't know if you remember it. It was the UK version, right? Yeah, exactly. Really, yeah. I mean, it was Dutch first, I think. You know, and then suddenly, you know, I learned a lot about the media at that time. And then it just went up and down over the last 10 years. Uh, worked for a mobile games publisher via a company in Brighton called Babel Media, which was a games company, did a deal with Vodafone for all the games that were released, mobile games. You know, mobile games as they are now are very different to what they were then. Um, so we did a deal with Vodafone, so every game was going to be tested or certified by our processes. And I realised at that time that mobile games was going to be the next thing. So I went for, to work for a publisher called Player X in Soho. We raised quite a lot of money and we spent it by travelling and having quite a good time. Lots of parties. And I suppose our claim to fame uh, was that we failed Angry Birds. We were offered it before the iPhone channel. Uh, and because Rovio's games were all pretty rubbish, to be honest, and they put 50 games through our... I mean, at that time, if you were a developer, you offered it to a publisher, and the publisher kind of had the rights. Uh, and we, fa- we failed Angry Birds, which okay. is... no which is Swedish company. Uh, Finnish. Finnish, OK. No problem. I don't mind the fact that we could have made a billion. OK. <laughs> <laughs> but your fails are your wins, right? I mean, who would have known if you would have pitched me that in a bar in, in a minute? No, well, the games were before, and I, and, and I think that you know, they, they would admit it as well. They weren't very good, you know, and they got very lucky. And then as soon as... Not lucky, that would be mean to say that, but um, when I came back from India uh, three years ago, I went to Helsinki to see Rovio, and uh, I knew what was coming, you know, because we, we were called the Rovio Killer. That was the name of our company. So when I walked in there, you know, Peter Vesterbacker's the marketing guy, quite a, a very big genius, actually. And I went in and goes, oh, I want to. You always to work for Player X. So here you've gone to Bollywood and done the Hollywood stuff. But just a minute, everybody. Should we tell them, Monty? We are fucking billionaires! You know, so... <laughs> <laughs> took it, took it in reasonably good grace, you know. <laughs> and when, when, so, when did you start writing for the tech scene? When you when you finished with that? Well, because uh, I went in and out from 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 being a writer, and then I kind of swapped sides really with the Victoria Real um, area. Uh, I went to work for an incubator, and then I went as a website editor to the local paper in Brighton, which was weird, and uh, lasted three months. Uh, we hated everyone. We all hated each other. Um, <laughs> I kind of I had a fe- I kind of had a feeling that digital was the future, but I don't think digital was mentioned in those times. It was all internet. This is what oh five or six. I mean ninety nine two thousand. Okay. I think. Okay. Something like that. Um, and then I, you know, I was always a writer, and I wanted to be a writer. I wasn't a very good one, um, but you know, because I did everything quite late. Uh, so when I went to India in two thousand and eight to get away from, well, not get away from Player X, but it was a pretty heavy party lifestyle and I was a bit dumb with it as well. Uh, so we had a five-year-old son, so we thought you know, my wife is a good traveller as well, did a lot of stuff for the Tibetan Information Network and spent 17 days hitchhiking in China, you know, it's a cool, cool chick now, you know, nearly 13 years married. Um, we kind of, I said, well, why don't we go to India? And she said, well, you know, you're running away. But I, I could feel there was a storm coming. 
especially with the recession and the fact that play, I was quite vulnerable, I was kind of quite highly played, uh, and I'd have probably been the first to go, I think. Uh, so we went there, and then so I used to write a newsletter, you know, uh, parallel to my job, called Monty's Gaming and Wireless Outlook, which was pretty much a compendium of 30 stories. You know, it, it was quite a strange time, but it was basically it's Friday, it's 20 to 12. You haven't read the newspapers. Here are 10 stories about mobile games in North America, in Europe, and and in Asia. So it was a kind of resource for people to to to, to find those links. And then there would be four or five hundred words of, you know, reasonably satirical editorial about the industry, you know. And there was, you know, Nokia sponsored it quite, quite well. I put some money in my pocket, so that was something that I kind of kept going um, when I went when I went to India. Then that became Monty's Indian Outlook, and it was my stories of living in India and you know getting away from the recession. Um, and then the Telegraph got in touch with me and said, you know, would you like to string for us? and write stories about India, so that was good, you know, it was a, it was a broadsheet. So I did that for about a year, uh, was very well acquainted with the Telegraph trolls who are the worst people on the planet. And the then, trolls, oh, what was that? Jesus, just the people internet that... Trolls that oh, the internet trolls. The, the oh. Telegraph, the comment section of the Daily oh, Telegraph. Oh, they're just they are Neanderthal, I'm telling you. Oh, okay, it's brutal. Hyper, yeah. I mean, it's known as a conservative paper, oh. it's right, kind of right-leaning. I wrote I guess, a piece but, about um, <clears throat> corporal punishment in India. Right, and the story was that um, parents of a you know private school, you know public school, whatever you call it, um, were invited to see their children do. You know, I'm seeing my son in the school play tomorrow night, Pete and Pan. Um, but their their area was you know watch your children walk across hot coals, you know. So they taught all these kids from the age of five up until eleven, and all these poor kids, you know, burnt their feet, were terribly distressed, but not one single parent, you know, complains because you know make them hard and all that stuff. So I wrote a piece saying, you know, corporate punishments on the statute books, why don't they start, you know, prosecuting people for hurting children? Reasonably good piece, reasonably informative, you know. The amount of abuse I got from Telegraph readers, you know, serves them right, don't spare the rod, you know. And it's, what are you talking about, you know? But do you read these things? I would just think as it's a writer... A good, it's get... a good point, Mike, because at first... Or do right, you need to as a writer? No, I don't know. I think, I think you get used to it, right? And it's the way. You know, anonymous abuse is like, you know, I'm a very small player in these, in these type of areas. Uh, and when you, when you do it for the first time, you know, the first few pieces, and you see these comments, the first thing is, right, you, I'll get the boys round, you know, I'll come round, you know, I mean, you, that's, you do feel really angry about mm-hmm. it. And after a while, it's like, well, you know, if you're, if you're making comments on, a, you know, where's your life? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, who cares? It's, it's an interesting phenomenon because we get lots of hate on London Real, which is weird because, you know, we give free content every week. You wouldn't think anyone would have a problem with that. Yeah. But uh, it's weird because you, you kind of have to listen to about 5% of it to get a little feedback. But if you listen to the other 95, it's, it's, it's never going to be helpful. To well, you. no, sometimes, you know, do, you know, I'm not saying that everyone that reads my stuff at the Telegraph is evil. You know, a lot of the times it can become a great focus group for the next piece you're going to write because right. people know more than you and point out where you went wrong. I mean, you know, we're, we're not all, you know, perfect. So it can be, you know, probably more than 5%, but, you know, it could be, oh, I didn't know that, or I should talk to that company, or I should find out more, or I will become better on the basis of that. So it's not, it's not all negative, but it's generally, you know, mean Right, and that's part of the business. Now, what do you write about these days? Is there, is there, are you still more mobile guy? Or are you still no, I was the guy? mobile guy, I think, before I went to India. And I, and I was doing stuff in India as well. You know, the company was sold when I was away. Uh, so I got a conservatory out of it, not a mortgage, if you know that's what I mean. It was, it was all right. Um, 
And so then I started to consult. I consulted. I knew the India. The, the thing about Indian mobile companies is quite similar. As, uh, at the time, there was four or five big ones. Uh, so I knew the people within those organisations. So if it was Reliance or if it was, or now Bharti Airtel, in India you need to talk to the man. You know what I mean? And and you find out. You know you have to go through a lot of you know steps to get to the decision maker. But if you can pinpoint the decision maker, which I kind of done anyway for BizDev with PlayerX because we had a Indian development studio in Pune in between Mumbai and Goa. Um, so there was, you know, there was a lot of interest, oh, you know, India, you know. So I was consulting for Nokia and I was consulting for Paramount in Los Angeles. Excuse me. They were uh, releasing Iron Man 2. They wanted to meet a few people. So it was really interesting. And then, again, then the, the network was upped because I acted in a couple of movies. You may have mine at a hotel, James. Uh, and said, do you want to be a dead soldier in a movie? And I said, absolutely, I do. Because when I was travelling 20 years ago, I went to some ruins, and my best mate and a girl, they were, uh, they were in a movie. So it kind of rankled to me. I mean, it went a bit mental, you know. So you started off as a dead body, and then you moved on from Yeah, there. then I became uh, Captain Farrell, and then I became Major Johnson. Are you is... speaking English in these movies? Yeah, well, I didn't speak <laughs> many okay. words. I spoke, I spoke Punjabi. That was so interesting. You... Okay, and yeah, this is why you're in Goa, you're, you're shooting these, or you're traveling around India to shoot them? Well, no, well, you know, with my family, we went up to Kashmir, and, you know, we tra- not Kashmir, but we went up to uh, Manali, and we traveled around the north of India, you know. And my wife and I have a massive love affair with that, and we thought it was a good thing with a five-year-old son who was there for the first year. We were only going to stay a year, um, and then uh, he was in a sweet, you know, international school for the first year, jump on a motorbike, go past the buffaloes, have a bet on the next animal we would see. You know, it was beautiful. Um, get on, get up in the morning, see the kingfishers. You know, amazing. And then the second year, he was at a kind of. Uh, it was the only. Well, there were two white kids in you know 27, uh, 27 school, which is quite difficult when he went there for the first day. You know, Indian schools allowed. You know. So and then when did you come back to London? Two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. Yeah. So we came back two thousand ten. Uh, and we were going to stay another year, so we were going to take our son up to, to the Eton of India called Woodstock, um, and then we were going to come back after three years. And then my sister is quite a senior academic in education, and Rum, who's uh, Jack's godmother's a teacher in Bromley, they both said, you know, he's been to a school in Brighton, he's been to a school in India, he's been to another school in India, he's been to another school in India, and then he'll be eight years old, and that'll be his fifth year. So that was okay, the... So, we, so we, we were told off, basically. Came back early. Yeah. And when you come back to the scene, does it look completely different than when you left it? Were you shocked? Was this whole area well, I, yeah, around well, here I new? think the, the thing I'd missed, right, was that because India's connectivity is weird and, and different, you know, so you have a kind of Nokia phone and, you know, it doesn't work and, you, you know, you're trying to find stuff. It, 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 it doesn't work. And when I came back, everything worked. And it took me a long time to realise it actually worked and I could have 3G and all that stuff. So that was, that was one thing. But I think the thing that, that I kind of swapped when I was in India, because I went from mobile to social, you know, so the kind of narcissism of Facebook was, was quite good for me. Like, I'm in a Bollywood movie, telling my mates back home, you know. And then, you know, I was put up, put up stuff on, you know, Twitter, you know, I've been wearing this stick-on fucking moustache for eight hours now. Hashtag go to Bollywood or whatever. So I think that was the change. So, so when, I, when we came back... I mean, I, you know, I used to work in the media and, you know, so I kind of made it quite clear that I was back, everyone, you know, want to spend more time with a job as opposed to my family. Uh, and I, I'd almost rendered myself kind of unemployable because I basically showed off about, you know, I left the recession and everything like that. So it was a really tricky, 
you know, six or nine months, you know, to get back. I want to go to, go to London <coughs> for five days a week. Um, and then I swapped over from the, the Telegraph Indian work to the Shane Richmond, great man uh, at the Telegraph, and said, you know, can I write about tech as well, you know? So he's had a couple of ideas. So that relationship has gone on, yeah, for three years, you know. I write for them every week. And you write for the, for the Telegraph for, and then for Wired as well? Did yeah, well, Wired, yeah, yeah, I think, because uh, Mike Butcher at TechCrunch is a good mate of mine. Yeah. Uh, he let me write a few things for, tech, for TechCrunch, and I'd met uh, his editorial director, Sarah Lacey, in India, went to the first Indian Premier League cricket game, and she was a guest of uh, some mates of mine from India Games. So we had, you know, had a night out drinking and talking and telling me about what London was like, and Mike was a mate of hers. She's a, she's a very good journalist, and she'd written a lot of stuff in Africa, you know, as a, as a woman on her own. Again, kind of Gavin Hills-esque as a bit of an inspiration, you know, how you can do stuff. Uh, and Mike was, you know, it's a new rock and roll man, you know, like, get into it. So Mike's been a bit of an inspiration, I'd, I'd have to say. Yeah, working on getting him on as well. Yeah, right. Mike would be great. I mean, Sarah Lacey we're referring to, who then went so on So she now Pando runs Pando Day, Daily, right. which is in, a huge in the Valley. Silicon Valley tech site. So what are you writing about these days? Well... <laughs> Uh, at first, it was like being back at computing, you know, like 12 years earlier, and I had to take every press trip, and I had to try and find the stories, and, you know, and I was trying to do, you know, paid work, you know, proper money as well. Um, so, yeah, so it took a bit of time, and I was used to $400 a month rent, you know, living in a, in a almost a Morocco meets LA house by the marshlands, you know, with a palm tree growing in the middle of the place, and then suddenly living in Lewis in a very small place. Um, and yeah, you know, it just rolled on, I suppose, you know. And then, you know, kind of biz dev guy, you know. So it's not it's difficult to, you know, find who's the person that commissions at Mashable, who's the person that commissions at this, that, and the other. And it's just rolled on, I suppose. And know. what's your signature like style, or what's your signature? Do you concentrate on a certain industry? Are you still social? Well, yeah, I mean, I use, I use social to market my work, right? You know, so those those networks have been fostered over the last three years and are quite strong, I think. And I've been cleaned up at certain times. You know, the nutrients of your network are the basis of your your marketing or your or your or your power. Um, so, well, yeah. So, social I'm interested in, but it's just more like the stuff that I'm writing about is that I'm interested in new new new, new territories and what's going on and what's. I mean, I'm a positive writer. You know, if something's really stupid and really bad, and I'm more than happy to to, to write about that. But I'm interested in you know, and almost India for me, has kind of passed me by, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't know, it's, you know, I lived there for a couple of years, that kind of, kind of depleted that interest, uh, and then, and again, Sarah's work that she'd written about Rwanda and all that, all those type of places, and started to open the African network, and I've been to, I mean, what it was, before, I'll tell you, is that a month before we came back, I said to my wife, saying, right, I'm, you know, I want to, you know, it looks like I'm going back to the UK, and, you know, summer's seven, um, and we're going to be back in the thing, you know, going to be working and, you know, mortgage and everything like that. So I wanted to go to um, South Africa to see the World Cup. It's very cheap to fly from India to the East Africa. Uh, so the idea, and I always wanted to go to Ethiopia. So there's a good mate of mine, big Chelsea fan, Russell Mark. Uh, so I said to Russell, how about we meet in Addis, you know, spend three days there, have a laugh, and then we go down to Blomfontein to see England play Germany. So that was the plan. Uh, was filming the second movie in Mumbai for a week and then flew to Addis, but I got very sick. You know, I've been in India for two years and I got really, really sick. And I remember arriving at the Ra- was it Rastafari Hotel in, oh yeah, Ras Hotel. 
uh, and I couldn't get out of bed for four or five days. I was really ill, puking and you know, shitting and everything. Just before you continue with the story, I mean, Bryce, can you tell me what, what are the pieces that you, that you like most about Monty? Is it his perspective of the emerging markets? Or, so, or what, what do you find that, that he yeah, writes so about this different? When I first met Monty, I think, um, through, the, through the scenes, I think it's, it's, we're getting onto it now, which is he transitioned very well from being a sort of when social... I remember a time in London where social media not too long ago was the precursor to startups. I remember this very well. And then hmm. there was this big rise of social media and everybody knew what to do with it. And you know, the US has had this as well, but probably a bit before. But so Monty did that and that was tech journalism, a lot of which was conveying social media before, just before the, the roundabout bit took off. But what I like about Monty is, and we'll get on to this, is he transitioned incredibly well to being known as a tech journalist for emerging markets, mainly because he would go to places that you couldn't get someone in the UK to go to. I mean, and he would go and he would find people and he would interview them and he would talk about it. And I think you've now started doing stuff for The Economist, which I think is really, yeah, well, that really was interesting. Just, and the top three cities that come to mind for emerging markets for you are, are is Nairobi one of them? And what, and what else? Lagos is probably the most interesting, but quite scary. Okay. I mean, on that trip, you know, just to finish that, I ended up going to Somaliland, a country I didn't exist. So I sat with Russ and I had a good laugh, you know, in, in Addis, and I said, I'm not going down to, you know, to watch the football, going to stand in Ethiopia. Uh, and then I did some mad bus journey for two and a half weeks, and I wanted to get to Berbera in, in Somaliland to go to Yemen and go, you know, long story, probably too long. Um, but I just, there was one moment in Somaliland where I had to hire a soldier for two days to take me from Hegesia to these caves. Uh, and I had a soldier with me, and I, you know, and I was saying, you know, shoot the gunman, you know. And I was, he's going, I was, have you got any bullets in there? He goes, you know. So we ended up in these caves that were 10,000 years old, and then his phone went off. Like a great piece of music, you know, like from the Mississippi Delta. Uh, and I said, what's that? And then he said, well, do you want me to Bluetooth it to you? It's like, what? You even understand that technology? And we did it in the cave, 10,000 years old. Mm. And then you realise that Somaliland's an unrecognised country and it's got four great operators. And I, I don't know, I just fell in love with the place, you know. We were all born in Ethiopia, and that's quite clear. That's where we came from. And that was probably the, that was the catalyst, was, was, was that trip. Um, and, and then understanding what was going on there and how mobile was transformed Africa. I mean... It's, it's 80% of Africans now have a mobile phone. Right. And that's insane. So what is going on in Lagos? And, and I keep saying Nairobi. Is that... Is that well, Nairobi, Nairobi, I think, is easier because it's kind of like from, you know, the, the British, the plugs are the same. You know, you can, you can arrive in Nairobi from London on the overnight red eye quite easily, and that works out. There's a great uh, hub there called iHub. Uh, there's a great man called Eric Hersman uh, and Julia Rotich, uh, Juliana Rotich, sorry, they had a startup called Ushiandi, which was citizen journalism with the riots or the, you know, the killings in, in Kenya four years ago. They've now changed that into this amazing um, BRIC, B-R-I-C, I think it's B-R-I-C, uh, you know, which is almost like a, a connector, you know, a hub itself. Uh, so, so Nairobi, I, I would imagine, is reasonably ahead in that area. And Lagos frightens people because of its reputation. But what's going on in Lagos with e-commerce is unbelievable. You know, there's 30,000 people arrive in Lagos every week, you know, uh, sorry, every month from across Africa. It's, uh, you know, it's almost a migration, you know. Is anyone investing in Lagos yeah, outside of Lagos? No, absolutely. So, okay. so, 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 so basically there's no postal service in Nigeria. So there's a massive opportunity there for e-commerce. There's two companies, uh, e-commerce companies called Conga and Jumia. Uh, I think both of them have received about $30 million in, in investment recently. I think there was a second round. 
think it's Rocket Internet in Germany is one of the big okay. players. Do, do the Yanks get involved over there, or is you know it so what? far away from home? That's a good question, and, and, and I'd imagine there's a scramble for Africa at the moment, like there was a scramble for Africa in imperial times at the end of the 19th century. You know, I would imagine that there's... I mean, there's also... It's a kind of slightly more benign channel, which would be going through South Africa. But, you know, in Nigeria, they're, they're offering... I mean, this is like tw- between 18 and 22 million people uh, with traffic chaos and madness after 6 a.m., and they're offering to deliver stuff within 24 hours. And if you can do that stuff... Something as basic as the mail is, a, yeah, is, absolutely. is, is basically yeah. a start-up there, right? And then three days within you know, the rest of Nigeria. Uh, but what's interesting, connected with that, apart from this you know, ongoing success, is drone delivery. You know, we're t- talking about Bezos and Amazon and all these kind of PR stunts about... You see you that know, video? Where yeah. they did the drone? Amazon Air, yeah. I think, is it? Is that what they're calling it? Yeah, something like is this, that. I mean, yeah. it's a PR stunt, a very good one. No, a good one, but I mean, it's more likely to... Have, Lagos is the type of city where you expect to see drones in the air. Okay. You know, it's like Blade Runner, and it's bonkers, but it works, you know. I was thinking about it. Like, can you imagine walking around London with, like, you know, 500 drones whizzing by you? I mean, Probably not, but, probably, you, but, but you could in Lagos. Right, you, you could know. in Lagos, right. Okay. And there's a, there's a great man called Jonathan Legard, who uh, was a war correspondent for The Economist. I saw him in Nairobi this week. So I can't, he's in Lausanne with some type of foundation. So they've set up this thing called the Flying Donkey Challenge. So basically, it's like any African startup, um, you have to deliver, I don't know exact details, but you have to deliver 10 kilogram payloads, and then the drone goes all the way around Mount Kenya and delivers 10 on the way back. It's like the magnificent men in their flying machines, you know, 100 <laughs> years ago. Insane, you know. Uh, and, and I think that the Amazon of. Um, the new Amazon, I suppose, will come from somewhere like Nigeria. Where they do it as a necessity and then you use that in a first yeah, world. If you can make it work scenario. there, you can make it work anywhere. Okay. You know. I think the Yanks, by definition, have a hard time understanding Africa because they're so far away from it. And like you would never necessarily bump into someone from Nigeria in the United States, but you bump into people from Nigeria all the time here. And I think sometimes you are maybe forget as a former colony. Well, it's difficult to fly direct to the US. Yeah, <coughs> from, as well. You know, you can fly, I think, directly from, I don't know exactly... But you can fly directly, I think, from South Africa. But if you were flying from Nairobi, you'd probably have to go to Amsterdam to change. You know, so yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a really long, com- like, massive commitment to actually get there in the first place. But you see Rocket getting involved down there and some yeah. other... They were one of the first, weren't they? Because they, yeah, well, they only look at emerge, scaling rapidly in emerging markets. And t- Tony right. Davis that spoke in one of your previous yeah. editions, I mean, yeah. you just referred to, hit, to that. I mean, he knows more than anyone about it. He's and amazing, I, actually, what he's yeah. done there. I would recommend it? people that are listening and watching this to go, to, to go back to that because he'll, he'll, that he'll tell you he's an investor... And he's a bit of an old boy, you know, a veteran, but, you know, he's doing great stuff yeah, for Nigeria. Yeah, yeah, great stories about there. Are some of the, I know there are some of the pharmaceutical, you know, uh, uh, you could, like, text in your pharmaceutical code to make sure it was a reliable piece. Or you can and, scan, scan the barcode okay. and, and you get, you know, there's all, the thing about it, I think that there's this kind of vague thing about Africa, you know, it's very, you know, very good for people to do that. Uh, but really, you know, just let Africans get on with it. I mean, they're doing amazing jobs. I mean, they're natural-born hackers anyway, you know, and the stuff that's going on, honestly, you should go. Just go for three or four days, you know, and just have a look around. And it's, you know, it's the future of the world. And is it scary? Do you get scared when you go to Lagos? I, I shit myself in Lagos. Okay. I really did. And Excuse what, my language. Yeah, can you tell us what, I mean, is it when you land in the airport, are you just worried? What, what are you worried about? Well, I think you're worried about the reputation. Um, and then kind of Lagos means lagoon, right? So there's, so there's, I've seen that movie Escape from New York. Victoria Island is all there's this kind of area of embassies and hotels. And there's a bridge called the Third Main Line Bridge, I think. 
and it's the, it's the biggest bridge in Africa, and then you're on the mainland, you know. And we, we were going to go out to a beach bar in Lagos uh, with a, you know, some sort of concession at the hotel, thinking it would be just like Goa, you know. We ended up in the middle of the slum and, don't know, drinking heavily, you know, warm beer, and then we went across the bridge into, onto mainland, and our driver was a, you know, was a bit of a player, so he was kind of taking his clothes off and his... Nothing weird, you know, he was taking off his epaulettes and his uniform and ended up in an outside bar. And then, I don't know, it all went off in there. I started playing this guy for money for Paul, which was fine. You know, then the people from the hotel were trying to say, don't play for him. And then, honestly, it went mental. We ended up, there was a big fight, tried to stop it. Don't, don't stop the fight, you idiot. And then we were, you know, we walked out and then there were pimps and there were people on dwarves and then there were prostitutes in the car okay so it's dangerous <laughs> you know I mean, it yeah. might have just been my experience but if you, you know. stayed in your hotel is it dangerous oh you're fine oh okay you know <laughs> it's just like being anywhere else in the world you know yeah but you know and i've traveled a lot but you know and i don't want to dismiss this nigeria because i haven't seen lagos i haven't seen that much of it but i was worried eh? you know okay. what I mean? it was quite dark and what, what are your thoughts on London as a scene? I mean, we always ask everyone that comes here, you know, what, what do you think London has as one of its assets? And what, what do you think we do better than any other city here? And then on the flip side, what, what do you think we need to improve? Well, listen, man, when I was a dispatch rider, I knew London, right? You know, and that was the greatest beauty of that, of that job. You know, I was living in Stoke Newington and lived east, west, south, north. It was always 15, 20 minutes away on the bike, you know what I mean? Lots of gigs, lots of clubs. You know, I love London, Absolutely. And I've seen London go through peaks and troughs, you know. I was, a, I was a punk in the day, you know, going up to the Lyceum and Music Machine uh, and, and finding out London via a motorbike, really, you know what I mean? Uh, and it goes up and down, you know. When, it's, when London's skint, um, that's when it's the best, you know what I mean? If you, if you ring, ring up someone to pay your bill and the other guy's on the end of the phone saying, money, yeah, mate, you know what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Then you start talking about which club you went to. Yeah, I've been there. Anyway, no worries, mate. I'll give you six months. You know, there's that kind of community where it's three quid to get into a club, not 25 quid. <clears throat> uh, and I've seen that, you know, and I was quite dubious when I came back to London about Silicon out, Roundabout, you know, it's like yeah. App Roundabout almost. And, you know, um, so I was a bit... And then there the Olympics, and it was like London was too jolly, and London was too successful, <laughs> and there was no edge. No one was skint, you know. Jolly London. Yeah, exactly. Well, it has been a huge bull market, I guess. Yeah, it ha- it, yeah but I think... In the last year and a half, I've changed my mind. I think I'm a solo boy, you know. Uh, but my focus is shifting over here, you know. Hobson Hotel, all these great people. It's almost like New York, you know. If you're in Soho and you go out for a cigarette or something like that, you know, and you ask someone for lights, so what do you want? Who are you talking to? And if, in here, you know, it's more likely to be a really nice girl that chats to you, gives you light, and it's just a bit social. I think what London needs is an exit. I think you've got moshy monsters that's slightly kind of hackneyed, you know, Acton's doing a great job. There needs to be more of that, you know. And, like, you know, if it wants to be, like, some Silicon roundabout thing, you know, Silicon Valley's always kind of it's gone round and round because people have exited and invested their money into different things. I think London needs an exit. What's, what's going to be that exit? What we've, got, we've got Zoopla, we've got Just Eat, we've got yeah. AO was quite... Yeah, and you've got, I suppose you've got kind of Candy Crush, you know, King. King, yeah, it's King. King. But that's King. kind of Regent Street, yeah. that's not East, you know. I mean, I mean, we used to do business with them at Player X, and they weren't even a games company in those days. Are these, you know, like those three you mentioned, are those going to transform it? Are those going to be the X? Zoopla? Zoopla will be big, I think. Um, and Just, just Eats coming up soon? Just Eats coming up. Um, 
There's a bunch of... It's weird, actually. I've just been looking into this today. There's a bunch of... Not big ones, but there's a bunch of... Um, uh, health tech, clean science, like uh, biotech, no, okay. like healthcare and around pharmaceutical. Here. Uh, no, not around here, but just London generally, I think. There's a few, well, Cam- Cambridge, actually Cambridge, Cambridge and Oxford, yeah. there's a bit. It's interesting to see the trends. I think the London companies, Halo, maybe, if they do. I don't know. They haven't announced yet. But um, uh, my money's on Zoopla and King, if only... But King's going to be Nasdaq, isn't it? So, and but those aren't exits; those are IPOs, and so you don't get people. Oh, you mean exits? Sorry, MNA, Sorry. Uh, do we need that? I mean, when you say that, it's yeah, not just fair the point. IPO. Actually, actually, fair point. You, you know, need the exit, so you an get, IPO is not. You need twenty the, people cashing out. Yeah, and yeah. Money, IPO is right? also amazing. And, yeah, and that's great. great stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I immediately I've been reading about IPOs all day because it's been all over the news this week and last week. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, they're thinking it's all starting to get its own momentum. M and um, I think. Well, there was the Google one for, uh, here in London, the D- uh, DeepMind, the oh, artificial was, intelligence, true. 500 million, which yeah. is not in... And for a company, let's be honest, nobody had heard of. Like, what was the games much. one? The games engine, that was a... Um, God, I can't remember the name. I mean, on that same note, what do you think is, is the asset of London? What do you think London does better than New well, York? Well, I mean, I'll go back, to the point, go back to the point of, of me re- knowing re- London reasonably well over the last 30 years from the punk days. Um, I think it's the best city in the world at the moment. You know, like, I kind of believe that anyway. But it does go through times where it's, you know, it's quiet and all that. I think it's amazing. And I don't think it's just post-Olympic bloom or anything. I just, I just think, I just, I just feel, you know, you know, just coming over here. It's just, it just feels right, yeah? It just feels good. I mean, I don't go clubbing anymore. I might go and see the odd gig around here sometimes. But it just, just feels like yeah, if you want to be somewhere. I mean, Berlin, I think, is also very similar, you know. That, that type of thing. New York is almost becoming, you know, the ad capital of the world like it was in the 60s and 70s. But I think people come to London because they think it's cooler than most cities. And I think it attracts talent. And I think it attracts very cool people. Yeah, you know? no, it does. I mean, you, you said earlier you like London when it's skint. And right now it's obviously not. I mean, if you try... Yeah, but that's, but that's what I'm trying to say. I, that, love Lon- I love London when it's skint. Right. And it's really rich at the moment. Super rich. But it's also good. Is that, do you think it's still good or is it going to hurt I think us it's with great. property values and everything going way up? There is so much cash flashing around this town and it's not all tech related. It's not all property no, related. No, it's, it's finance related. It's well, well real estate in this country, in London, has become a reserve currency, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's quite clear. Because well, it's non-euro denominated yeah. and it's yeah. and for, for Russian, for, all, for Middle East, for Chinese, for anyone in Europe who wants to. Yeah. And for all the demerits that that receives, you know, you know it, it does, you know, whatever bankers make, you know, it does circulate as much as an exit circulates so you yeah. know, I don't think you should be too you know there are obviously disparity of wealth and you know wealth distribution obviously but I don't know uh, it feels it's probably the first time that London's been flush and it's brilliant right in my opinion. <laughs> fair enough and what, what, what are you looking at the next year or two I mean are there certain industries or certain companies that you find exciting and that you write about well I suppose it would be back to Africa you know if I was a single guy I would definitely be living there you know, doing something or other, um, you know, but the fact is, you know, you know, I've got my eye open when I see these companies and I'm, I'm not like an aid guy or a philanthropic guy. Um, but, you know, like being out supporting those companies on their way up is, is of great happiness to me, you know. Um, so I suppose that's my focus, really. I was in Palestine yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, what was that? Well, well, I want to talk about the Middle East because that's the other region you've done quite a bit in. Because we hear about Israel a lot, obviously. Tons of startups there, tons of, of exits there as well. I, I don't know anything about the Palestinian industry. Well, I mean, <clears throat> it's a very tricky subject, right? You know, I was on kibbutzim when I was in my early 20s. You know, I've, I've been all over Israel 
from the Golan Heights till we lat and worked and had my passport nicked and worked on bad places on the West Bank. You know, and, and, I, and I, I remember I worked on this place, this Moshav, which is a cooperative farm. It was something like 16 cents an hour. And there was a right-wing Jewish settler, Algerian guy, who was my farmer. And my politics, probably similar as now as they were then, was for me to despise him. You know what I mean? He was stealing the land from the Palestinians. But the unfortunate thing about that relationship was I really liked him. You know what I mean? And I think that was that for me is the kind of crux of it all. That the politics and the stuff is just so confusing and you don't know where you're at. But this trip, I must say, to Palestine and you realise you know, spending time in Tel Aviv for the first time for 25 years, a couple of times at the end of last year, it's connected, exits, you know, I think they've got more companies listed in Tel Aviv on NASDAQ than the rest of the world. Yeah, something crazy. You know, something yeah. crazy. And, that, and it is kind of self-perpetuating. There have been those exits. Uh, and it's a great, vibrant scene and it's brilliant. And I think even the Israeli Defence Force has a great start-up kind of conduit and all that. Amazing, great. Yeah. But then when you cross over into Ramallah uh, through the wall, you know, this horrible, horrible kind of gash between those two countries. And then you realise that eight years ago, Gaza and the West Bank, I think it was, I can't remember the name of the company, but eight years ago, uh, I think it was a Kuwaiti operator, one of the major operators there, spent 350 million or something like that on 2G and 3G licences. And Gaza still doesn't have 2G. And uh, Palestine or the West Bank uh, has only got 2G. You know, if you import hardware into Palestine, it has to go for an Israeli regulator. I mean, it, basically, the Israelis own the spectrum. They own the oxygen. As the Palestinian IT kind of uh, minister told me a couple of weeks ago, and it just seems blatantly unfair. You know what I mean? These, so is there a tax scene now? There is, is but hard? it's very, very difficult. Okay. You know, like, again, you know, when you're under those type of conditions, you hack and you do stuff, and there's, you know... And the companies that I met there, there was a, it was about 70 30%. 30% was you know what, it's impossible to do business. If I fly, uh, even if I fly for a mine in Jordan, I still have to go through the Alembi Bridge. You know, I still can only go through there, I think, between nine and five during the week. It's shut at weekends. So they end up, you know, spending time in the man, you know. Uh, but the 70% that were there, and it seems like they're there for the long haul, you know, the, the bottom line was we're employing Palestinian. You know, that's why we're here. We want to, you know, change the perception of, of this country. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's anything... You know, if that startup schemes, I mean, there's VCs involved, you know, there's a couple of interesting companies there. It's very nascent uh, in comparison to Tel Aviv, obviously. But a lot of outsourcing comes from the Israeli arms of behemoths like Intel and Microsoft, and they outsource work to, to, to Palestine. Okay. You know, this is the coding big, work and things like that. Yeah, because okay. it's 50% cheaper than they're doing it with an Israeli company. These have got to be great things, you know, and if this thing. And I think it's like the, the Israeli tech community and the Palestinian tech community you don't really give a fig about politics. They just want to hack and they want to code and they right. want to do stuff. And so in that respect, hopefully, that might be some form of optimism for the most complicated place on the planet. Yeah, I'd like to see what happens there. You know, before we finish up, I wanted to ask you about Russia. Is that, is that an emerging market or a market that you keep in mind? Obviously, we got crazy things going on with Ukraine right now with sanctions going on. And is it something but, but, you... But it's, it's interesting that that I was with this guy, Eric Hirschman, in Nairobi a few months ago, and he was talking about the um, Nairobi startup scene. And he said, we take our inspiration from Russia. And I went, really? 
Wow, and I was, I've been over to a startup village in Moscow last year and met lots of companies, and it's extraordinary, Russian, the way they do stuff. There's a Skolkovo Foundation that's a kind of battleground between Medvedev and Putin that goes from le- you know, left to right. I know a few people involved there. Uh, so some great ideas. You know, some would say white elephants, some would say um, you know, uh, Silicon Kremlin, I think they call it, and Russians don't like that. Okay. Um, but the reason that Eric said that about uh, the African or the, the, the Kenyan market was because the Russians are very good at kind of getting their products successful domestically. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a form of great engineers and great talent, but not amazing experience of marketing and, and that type of thing. So they concentrate on getting the domestic market, you know. Uh, and I think that's interesting, you know, if you can do that. And it's a big country, you know, lots mm. of... There's hubs in Yekaterinburg and Vladivostok and all that, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, it remains to be seen how far that will come, bearing in mind current conditions. Yeah, we, we spoke about Ivan Mazur earlier, who was our guest, and he, he outsources his tech, I think, to Moscow. I think it's he? almost like an Anglo-Russian company, okay. Metria. Okay. But they're very interesting. He'll be on the front cover of Wired in two years, without a doubt. Yeah, that's a fantastic He's episode. a very, very charming man, I have to say. Yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens with these sanctions or if they block things. I don't know if they'll really be what a big change. What do you change. think? I mean, uh, I think the U.S. is posturing. I think they cannot control what Russia's doing, and Putin's making a, a smart you know, geopolitical move on his side. But mm. I, can, I know they're going to try to limit some banks and things like that, but I don't see it really uh, affecting the, the tech side. And Maybe. I mean, I don't know if there's sanctions for hardware, but I, uh, I actually don't know. Or travel, you know. I haven't, besides Ivan, I didn't know of anyone who was kind of outsourcing tech work to Russia. I know Estonia and some of the former republics. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think yeah. that's because of the strength of the domestic market. I mean, that's where the kind of energies and resources are applied. Maybe it is the model for the future. Yeah. You know, get, yeah. get, get big domestically they've, and then yeah. export. They've got their own Facebook Vilcommon, is that called? And then the VK.com. And Yandex. Yandex amazing. is their own Google, and they are very successful companies. And they're... But it'd be interesting to see the companies that kind of committed to be part of Skolkovo Village. Cisco and Samsung and even Zuckerberg was over there last year. It'd be interesting to see how they react. Yeah. And that would be interesting. Oh, definitely. Um, before we finish, Bryce, just wanted to get you know your thoughts for what, what you think is coming up for this year in London. Obviously, we've got a few potential IPOs that are pretty exciting. Is there yeah. any stuff that's on, that's on your radar as far as things that... What's w- going on my radar? Um, that, that weren't there, say, a year ago as far as like new companies or new angles or, or things that you were surprised to see? I reckon up? I'm curious to see, um, just following on from the theme about Russia, um, but whether we're going to see if this IPO swing continues like if we you know let's be honest this has taken years of like Mm. hand wringing and why do they you know if it does continue and it's seen as successful i'm curious if we start seeing some of the big european players moving in which would be really interesting moving into ipos moving into london London. for that reason so whether we see people from scandinavia which is an amazing scandinavia is for me the region to watch. Well, you mean big companies moving in? I mean, big tech, big startups coming in that are, you know, established, don't necessarily yeah. need to move to London because mm-hmm. they have European operations, but are doing so. So I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see with Berlin, but for me, I think Scandinavia is the area to watch this year. I think I'm just, I just see, keep seeing interesting. They've got, they've had some very, very good heroes in, you know, Supercell. Trondheim is really interesting in Norway. I mean, I think Norway's got the biggest surplus of most countries. Well, I don't, I don't know exactly. But Trondheim, up by the Arctic Circle, was an amazing hub of amazing yeah. companies doing stuff there. It might be one of those type of territories that kind of you know surprises us all. Well, Trustpilot from um, from Copenhagen just took twenty five million in, uh, which is yeah. a massive round for from um, a number of uh, uh, London based international. What do they do? 
uh, it's um, cons- uh, what is it? consumer rating site for businesses. So, um, uh, but it does both ways. So you're able to answer the business can actually answer and uh, so these it's kind of consumer, but big across Europe. Just moving in now. We're moving, setting up, and getting going in London. Hoping to take the US. Um, but I mean, 25 million is a is a big round. Yeah, it's and, a big and, and the VCs were. I mean, you don't get a 25 million round in Europe without having some serious big VCs to foot that bill. Right. And talking about um, uh, uh, Scandinavia, Just Eat started in Denmark before they moved to London, They right? did. They did. And in yeah. fact, the founder now runs um, an event called Tech Barbecue in Copenhagen <laughs> that's apparently very, very good. A okay. really interesting tech conference over in Copenhagen. Um, we had some dealings with him earlier this week. Lovely guy. Really lovely guy. Okay. Um, yeah, but you're right. It's a very good pickup, yeah. Yeah, interesting to see if that continues. Monty, how do people uh, get in touch with you? How do they read your stuff? What do they find? Are I you, don't know. Someone can find anything, I suppose, of a search, but it's at Monty Mumford, M-U-N, yeah. not that rubbish band, Mumford & Sons, which is the bane of my life. Uh, <laughs> everyone misspells your name uh, on the back has, of that? It's my, my answer phone message. You know, don't get it wrong. <laughs> uh, and then I've just got a, a blog, which I've been writing for... A, few years called mob mob76 the numbers mob76 outlook which is you know doing very well gets 70 or 80 thousand uniques a month and just being accredited by google news so hopefully there'll be an accelerator there oh, wow. it'll probably will come back to the blog everything that i do i suppose how many tomorrow. articles do you write a month <sighs> once a week for the telegraph i don't know probably about 10 or 12 i suppose you know just fill the channels when the you know at the right time in the right place and some reasonably Amazing editors, especially at The Economist, you know, tough school to get your stuff done there. But, you know, just trying to get better as a writer, nearly up to my 10,000 hours, maybe. Okay, for mastery. Yeah, is, just is a little bit more. Making. Just another, another six the months. The Economist is a different kind of breed, isn't it? I mean, it Jesus, is. It's it is, amazing. It's so, a highly detailed... If you try and get something published at The Economist and you get commissioned by them and the, the rocks that you have to walk over, you know, great rocks. Great editors, yeah. great people. I mean, Tom they Standard. are so smart. Are there yeah. no bylines in The Economist? No bylines. No, no bylines, and you can't okay. pitch them. Okay. I mean, it's, they, they control what they They're cover. the best, man. I mean, I, yeah. d- I didn't even... Is that the gold it. standard when it comes they to well, it, writing? I, I didn't even know that, to be honest, because I always thought they were a bit right for me and, you know, right, you know, left... They're not anarchists, let's just say that, you know. But, <laughs> but the process in the last year, I've only, I've only ever had two pieces published by them in the last three or four months, and I've walked across hot coals to do it. Okay. But I've become a better writer because of that process. Yeah, I'm sure. And they've changed their, their reach tremendously in the last few years, and even their, not their business model, I would say, but, you know, you see their two bads, and you see, you know, it's so many people read that magazine now. The only thing about it is that if you subscribe to it, you never get around to reading it all. Yeah, you know, because you could spend yeah. a, a, at least six hours going through it on every piece is interesting. I have a hard time finishing a single article <laughs> because they dive so deep, and I just like yeah. it's just mind blowing the amount of detail. But but it's you, a massive privilege for me to write for them. Yeah. You know, yeah, really they is. are good. I mean, you have to th- and you have to think to yourself like the quality of the writers to put, and this is a weekly publication too, right? So they start it, it goes out on Friday, and they are in a board meeting Friday afternoon deciding yeah. the next week's yeah. and they, and they're almost busting the model with their print is going up through the, through the roof yeah, while everything right. else is going down. down. Yeah. And it's really nice to know that quality could still be successful, you know what I mean? There's not many examples anymore. And it's probably interesting that, for me, I think is interesting about them is, is this fact that they are so good at making sure that it's not about 
the writers or the people. It's about the content right. that you can't even access the writers. Most people, it's very difficult to find out who does what at The Economist. Mm-hmm. Just as, trust me, I've spent They must get years. pressure to change that. But no, I mean, yeah, but like, I think that's what makes them so powerful, is you never you know. You could always say that you're a writer for The Economist and no one would ever know. Yeah, I, used, I had an, <laughs> one of my ex-girlfriends. It's a good she, idea, Monty, I might use that. Yeah, one of my exes, she was a writer and she always used to tell me, oh, I work for the, wrote for The Economist and then when we broke up later, I was like, yeah, I could never confirm that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're quite interesting. I mean, you, you have to sign a real d- disclaimer, you know. I mean, it's serious, you know. To say that you won't no, say no, that's well, no, piece. no, but, but you can republish the stuff that you've written for The Economist on your own blog. Oh, okay. They're quite cool about that, you know. It's not totally proprietary. Okay. Interesting. Have you, have you met Lud- Ludwig uh, Siegel? Uh, Ludwig, I actually weirdly had lunch with him today. He's amazing. Yeah, and he gave me... He, he, so he's he's the writer for the comics. So he's the technology editor now, isn't he? I think he does the business, and he, he does... He does I mean, like most people at the comics, he does... I had lunch with him today, and it was a, another lesson in, you know, what he's, you do if you're writing, don't be so flowery, get to the point, you know the story, you know, and I just sat there. I try and get him on the nice, show. He's, 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 he's a um, great guy. He's nice to see that you're, you're always learning and always trying to make Absolutely. your craft better. Because uh, I would think a lot of people aren't doing that. So, uh, Monty, thanks so much for coming. It's really nice to get out of our cycle of uh, who you are, what's your business model, how you're going to scale in London, and then rinse and repeat. Um, I love hearing about new businesses, but it's nice to take a bit of a switch and, and talk about, about new regions. Yeah, new regions too. And, good and, conversation. And, Sorry uh, if I banged on. No, no, it was, it was good stuff. <laughs> it was good stuff. And yeah, regions that are important to London. You know, these regions, like you talk about in Africa, they don't really apply to Tokyo or to New York or to San Francisco. It's, it's regions that you know we know a lot about being. Mm-hmm. So fantastic. Um, follow Monty on Twitter. Uh, Bryce is at Bryce underscore Keen, K-E-A-N-E. And Bryce with a Y. Uh, Bryce with a Y. Uh, check him out. We, uh, if, you're listening, sons. if you're listening to us on uh, iTunes, you can check our faces out on uh, YouTube channel Silicon Reel. We're on Twitter at Silicon Reel. Uh, send us a message, hello at SiliconReel.com. Always looking for great guests, so please send us suggestions. And uh, thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, we say it's about the people. It is about the people today. It is. I know. Thanks, Bryce, for the intro. Uh, Monty, all the best. Stay in touch. Send us some pictures from your next outing in Lagos. Okay. (laughs) Don't play pool for money. (laughs) All right, guys. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. We went out and met lots of businesses in the UK all over the place, and we were kind of like, what do you need? We want to invest equity in the business. And they were like, no, what we really worry about is working capital. Businesses can come online, apply, um, and within 24 hours, figure out whether they can use us or not to access the funding. 2011, we did 3 million. 2012, we did 33 million. 2013, we did 66 million. And since the beginning of the year, we've done over 30 five million pounds. We're not here just to make money, right? We're here also to change change the world.